Hi, this is David Flower, senior pastor at Grantham Church, an intergenerational convergent third-way congregation with the Brethren in Christ U.S. and located in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast and for following the sermons that I and many others preach at Grantham. This is a free podcast and it'll always be that way, but if you'd like to give and help further the work we're doing for the kingdom, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you want to do that, you can do that by going to granthamchurch.org and clicking on the giving tab. Whether you're a member of our church or you're listening as a parishioner, it's our greatest desire that you would encounter Jesus and be changed by the good news wherever you are. Anyway, God bless you, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. What do we do when the unexpected happens? How do we respond when our whole world is rocked? You know, the Bible is full of stories where people experienced God through unexpected events. Biblical characters whose ideas about God and their plans for the future were challenged and disrupted. Yet they were surprised by God's faithfulness, mercy, and love after a period of waiting. What can these stories teach us today? That's our focus for our Advent 2020 series called Unexpected, Waiting on God When Our Plans Fall Apart. This Advent, we're going to look at four different stories and the biblical characters involved in those stories and see how God might use them to shine light into our own situation and circumstances. And here's where we're going each week. In this first message today, we're going to reflect on the story of Abraham and Sarah. This is where the biblical story of faith and redemption begins. Next week, we'll look at the life of Joseph, who was betrayed by his brothers and went from the prison eventually to the palace. And then in week three, we'll consider the lessons and wisdom that we can learn from Job and his trials. So you don't want to miss that one. And then the Sunday before Christmas, we'll conclude the series with the unexpected events in Mary and Joseph's life, culminating in the birth of the Messiah. So I hope that you'll join us. Because folks, this has been a challenging year. And it's not over yet. So I hope that you will join us for our, for our timely four-part series, Unexpected. And let's open up our hearts to what the Spirit wants to say to us about God, about ourselves, and how we should live as people of faith amid the unexpected. All right, let's begin our first story this morning, the story of Abraham and Sarah, I want to start by reading from Genesis 12 in just a moment, but let me give some some context first. The biblical book of Genesis is a book of origins. It begins with God creating the world, of him creating humankind in his image, and making us stewards and caretakers of his good creation. But we mess it up. If you've grown up in the church, you know this. In Genesis chapter 3, we see sin enter the garden through Adam and Eve when they listen to the lies of the serpent and they give in to temptation. They eat from the forbidden tree. And from there, things only get worse. Things get bad. Things get so bad that eventually there's a flood that wipes out the wicked, allowing humanity to begin again. But it's not long and the people of earth forget God. In fact, they think they are gods themselves. And we see this represented by the building of the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11, which is portrayed as a collective arrogance and rebellion against God. But this time, God doesn't use a flood to sort it out. 
Instead, he uses the scattering of people throughout the earth into different tribes, ethnic groups, and languages to accomplish his will and move forward with his plan to redeem the world. And that plan begins with Abram, later to be known as Abraham, the father of our faith. And we're told at the end of Genesis 11 that Abram is from the land of Ur, which was in the region of the Tigris and Euphrates rivers in the Middle East. God has his eye on Abram, so it seems. And for whatever reason, maybe it was Abram's disillusionment with his gods, a yearning for something more, possibly, or that his heart was simply ripe for faith. God sets apart Abram to kick off his divine plan to birth a nation that Yahweh could reveal himself, reveal his character, his power, his covenant faithfulness, and his love and desire to redeem the whole world, which will ultimately come in the person of Jesus Christ. So that brings us to Genesis chapter 12, where the story of Abraham begins. Let's look at that together. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So notice that God wants to bless, rescue, restore the whole world through Abraham and his family, which is why the entire Old Testament focuses on this family through the nation of Israel. Look at verse 4. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took his wife Sarai and his brother's son Lot and all the possessions that they had gathered and the persons whom they had acquired in Haran, and they set forth to go to the land of Canaan. Canaan, of course, is what is known as the promised land later on in the Exodus story. Now, this is the land that God will eventually give to the Hebrew people where the kingdom of Israel will be established. But at this point in the story, Canaan is occupied by another tribe, the Canaanites. Uh, so until God gives him the land, Abram, who must wait, will pitch his tent in the Negev, which is the southernmost part of of Canaan, a less populated desert-like region. And then later in chapter 12, we learn that there is a severe famine in the land, and so Abram goes down to Egypt. The scripture tells us that not once, but twice in the story, Abram, for fear of his own life, will lie to kings and say that his wife is his sister, so they don't kill him and take her because of her beauty. Of course, he can convince them of this because his wife, uh, Sarai, has still not bore him any children. And let me just say that I think it's important for us to recognize that Abraham, like most characters in the Bible, except for Jesus, is not perfect. Yet God will graciously work with imperfection and reward our faith and determination to follow him. And we should be glad about that, folks, when we read stories like this, because we're not perfect either. As the story goes on, about 10 years later, Abram begins to grow impatient when waiting for God's promise. After all, God said that he would make him a great nation and give him a land for his family. So he says to God, hey, if you don't do something, I'll have to adopt my servant and build this nation through him. And then in Genesis chapter 15, verses 4 and 5, 
The Lord says this, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. What a beautiful promise. God made this covenant with Abram and he says that he is going to keep his end of the deal. God will prove that he is faithful. Okay, but when? Right, that, that's what Abram wants to know. And like Abram, that's what we would like to know. Lord, I hear you saying this will happen, but when? What else? Can you give me more? But nothing. Silence. Abram and Sarai must wait. But they don't want to wait. Now Sarai begins to grow impatient. I mean, she's old, really old, beyond her childbearing years. And she's not getting any younger, as they say. So she decides to take matters into her own hands. She's going to try and make something happen. Now you can look at this as a lack of faith in God, or you can see it the way I think probably most of us see things like this. God told me that this was going to happen. I believe this is going to happen, so I'm going to help him along. Besides, maybe he's waiting on me to do something, for me to do my part. So what does she do? Do you know the story? Let's listen to Genesis chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Notice that. The Lord has kept, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. Now I know this may seem strange, even appalling to some of us. Uh, we have other ways of having surrogate mothers, but this was the ancient way. And that's, this is all that is happening here. In their minds, Hagar can sort of serve as a concubine and have children for Abraham since Sarai apparently cannot. Problem solved, right? Not even close. Because they refuse to wait and trust in God to act on their behalf. Maybe even believing somehow, isn't it interesting we believe contradictory things. Like God wants us to have a child, wants us to be this great nation as he's promised Abram. But yet Sarai says God has kept me from having children. We, we do this to try to make, things, uh, make sense of things, you know. So now Sarai and Hagar will both despise each other, if you keep reading the story. Ishmael will be born, and then, as a result, a feud will begin between families that will last for generations. When reading this story, we see how God continues to bail Abraham out, just as he will do time and time again through the whole biblical story. Even though the, they are fallible human beings, and, and, and we are fallible human beings, they keep on making a mess of things, as you can see through the whole Old Testament story, God is a committed lover to these people. He is true to the covenant agreement that he has made, which we see God formalized with Abram in Genesis 17 through circumcision as a sign that his offspring would be blessed. That was the whole point of circumcision. 
And then he changes Abram's name to Abraham and Sarai to Sarah, a marker that something new has begun. And then it finally happens. Listen as I read Genesis chapter 21, verses 1 through 5. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time that God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Look at, look at what the way God has worked here in this situation. Clearly they would have known that something divine was happening. And that's it, right? Abraham's faith paid off, his faith proved genuine, and, and that God is faithful, end of story, right? No, that's not the end of the story. Uh, there is one more big test that comes some years later. We're not entirely sure how old Isaac was at this point, but one thing is for sure, what happens next was totally unexpected. We're not sure why God chose to do it this way, but a somewhat miraculous, certainly unusual birth wasn't enough to build a nation or solidify Abraham's faith in God. God would need to test Abraham in order to see if his faith was truly legit and hopefully to inspire generations to come. Take a look at Genesis chapter 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there is a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Now, what is happening here? Why is God commanding Abraham to do this? It's no doubt a troubling thing for God to ask a father to do. Offer his son up as a human sacrifice, even if it is a test. Which is why some Jews in the intertestamental period proposed that Abraham may not have actually heard the voice of God, but was instead misled by the evil one, and then God stepped in to stop it. But let's go with what the text says. On top of this being a dark command, remember that Isaac is proof of God's faithfulness and the way by which God's promise to Abraham is to be fulfilled. So why this request? And notice it's most striking that Abraham doesn't question or argue with God. I mean, I read this story and I'm thinking, that was, that's exactly what I would do. Instead, Abraham just obeys. However, there is reason to believe that Abraham does see this as a test. At least he thinks that it is possible. A few verses later, we read that Abraham has begun the religious journey to what would later be the Temple Mount to make a sacrifice with his son Isaac, something they had apparently done before. On the way, Isaac asks, Father, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham replies, God himself will provide the lamb, my son. Is this Abraham's way of deceiving this unsuspecting boy? 
Or does it reflect Abraham's sincere belief that God would not actually expect him to do this? You see, it's not just about God's promise. It's also about God's character. And remember, human sacrifice wasn't uncommon in the ancient Near East. In fact, the Canaanites who lived in the land practiced ritualistic killing of their children in order to appease a deity. So while the thought of it would have been certainly gut-wrenching to Abraham, he heard of his neighbors doing this all the time. And maybe God was like the gods of the Canaanites, or maybe he's not. Listen as I pick up with Genesis 22, verse 9. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. What a traumatic event this would have been. And something Abraham and Isaac would never forget. And if they were to tell Sarah, something she would never forgive Abraham for. So why would God test Abraham like this? Brothers and sisters, I, I don't know. I don't know why God allows us to undergo what James calls the trials and tribulations that test our faith. This is certainly an extreme example of a test. I don't know why God sometimes asks us to do things that don't make a lot of sense. I don't know why, or maybe I should say, I mostly don't like God working in our lives this way. But I do know this. The tests are not for us to fail. God wants to, us to succeed that we would both know that our faith is genuine, that we would become more like Christ, as we can see in the New Testament, and that we're, we're ready for a new world. And to be clear about Genesis 22, God doesn't want the killing. And he doesn't do the killing. He provides the lamb. As he reveals in Christ, he makes a way out for us. He pours out his grace on our lives and stays committed to his covenant and commitment to us as a loving father. Now God knows that Abraham's faith is genuine. And now Abraham knows that God is unlike all other gods. This God, the one true God, is gracious, faithful, and good. Verse 15, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Because you have obeyed me. 
in preparing this message, I thought about the unexpected in my life and the times I've had to wait on God. Uh, This year has certainly been full of the unexpected, and I've undoubtedly had to wait on God. And like a lot of pastors right now, I've even felt like quitting a few times, if I'm honest. Maybe you've felt that way in some form or another. But like Abraham, I've been reminded of my own calling and how long I've had to wait to see some of God's promises fulfilled. As some of you know, I felt a clear call into vocational ministry when I was in middle school. I vividly recall seeing myself doing some of the things that I'm doing now. I felt like I was given these mental images and visions of me speaking before large crowds of people. And God confirmed that those things were from him many times through the years, even as I still waited on them to come to pass. Also remember that by the time I was in college, I was growing really impatient. I wanted to speed things up, and I tried a few times to make things happen. Like Sarah, I I thought maybe I need to act. Maybe I need to do something. I practically begged other older leaders to be my mentors, going through most of my 20s without anyone really investing in me and wondering what was wrong that others not see this calling that is on my life. I spent about seven years in youth ministry only for that season to end with me feeling disillusioned and cynical about the church. And as you know, I left the tradition that I grew up in. And for the first time, I began doubting what I heard from God. I was shaken to my core, but I decided to draw closer to God. And I never stopped believing in the church. This led to a seven-year wilderness and rebuilding period. Seven years of resting, relearning, and rethinking what I thought I knew before I returned to vocational ministry and pastored my first church. Now think about that, folks. It was almost 20 years after my initial visions and that initial calling that I began to receive what God had promised. I had to wait quite a while. And I know that some folks have had to wait even longer. You know, I had to trust God that this crooked road full of unexpected twists and turns would arrive at the destination that he had revealed to me. And this call to trust God is still in effect today for me and for you. That's why this series is for us. That's what this series is all about. And so to help us reflect on each story in this series, I want us to think about three questions. What does this story teach us about God, about ourselves, and about how we should live in light of the truths found in this story? I'll help us to do that, but I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to show you more and connect the dots in your own life. So let's do that now with the story of Abraham and Sarah. What does this story teach us about God? Well, I think it shows us that God is a God who meets us where we are and he works with our messy lives. Now, folks, this ought to be encouraging to all of us that we serve a God who meets us where we are and enters into our mess 
and brings good out of it. That God, as we see in the story of Abraham and Sarah, is full of grace. And even though we do some really dumb things and make some really poor decisions, God is still able to work his grace in our lives and work things together for good if we will commit to him and to his way and follow him and continue to deepen our faith. The second thing, what does this story teach us about ourselves? Well, I think it says that our thinking is often too small and we're not willing to wait on God. It's too small. For Abraham and Sarah, or I should say for Sarai, it was thinking that we need to act on God's behalf. We need to do something. And Abram did that too. I'll use my servant. And then Sarai said, I'll use my servant. Not willing to wait on God. Not willing to believe that God can do things that don't make sense to us. So I think that, that tells us a little bit about ourselves, that we are like this as well. We do the same things. Our thinking is too small, and we're not willing to wait on God. So let's expand our imagination, that we would have a God-sized imagination, and that we would be willing to wait on God to act. The third thing, how should we live? I think we must cultivate a deep trust in God. I think that's what this story tells us. To deepen our faith and trust in God and expect the unexpected. See, here's what happens. Things go wrong. Our plans fail. Trials and tribulations come. And we think it's the end. We think all hope is lost. At least we're tempted to believe that. But brothers and sisters, that is the ingredients that God uses to bring about his will. These are the kinds of situations and circumstances which God does his work. When we least expect it, when we think it is beyond our power to redeem, to to bring good out of, to return, to restore, to change, to grow, to experience life again. Well, that's when God is able to do something new. That's when God is able to take our mess and bring out something beautiful for his glory. You see, as people of God, we should be familiar with this way. We should know when things like this happen, when this year happens, God must be preparing to do something great. It isn't because God wanted all of it or that God caused all of it. Like God didn't cause Sarah not to be able to have children, though that's sometimes how our mind works that everything happens for a reason, that God must have wanted all the bad things of 2020. No, that's not the God we see revealed in Jesus. But what we can say confidently is that what the enemy has meant for evil, God intends for our good. God will take your mess and my mess and Grantham's mess and our community and our world's mess and bring something beautiful out of it. 
He's just looking for some people to believe in him, to put their faith in him. He's looking for his church to put into practice the things we say we believe. That is the invitation today. As you reflect on this story, I want to call you to obedience. Follow in the footsteps of Abraham and Sarah. Not perfect people, but people of faith.